Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I am doing an album review of one of my own albums this time. I'm kind of filtering these in here and there throughout the episodes. It's been a while since I've done one. And I thought, you know, this is getting into that season that really reminds me of this album. So I thought, what better time to bring it out and go over it with you guys, give you a little insight and some behind the scenes stories and, uh, you know, play some music for you. So I hope that you guys are all doing well. This is my favorite time of the year, not just because we're done with the hot summer and the the triple uh, degree temperatures, but it's just, uh, you know, it's a, a wonderful season. It has so many good memories of just warmth and, and unity and joy and seeing friends that you only see at Christmas time and that sort of thing as we're getting closer and closer to that. But Halloween really is my favorite time of the year. Now, uh, this album came out because one autumn day or weekend that I came out to visit Las Vegas when I was living in Arizona. I was staying at Treasure Island and I saw, you know, every time I would go to Treasure Island and you go down the escalator from the parking garage, they used to have, uh, well, they, they still have the video screen, but I don't think they have the audio anymore. And they would play uh, some of the music from the, the show Mystere by Cirque du Soleil. And I thought, you know, this would be maybe a really cool show for me to see. I, I texted my brother. I said, hey, do you think I'd like it? Because he had already seen it. And he said, yeah, I think you would. So I thought, okay, here's the deal I'm going to make with myself. And here's how naive I was at the time. I thought that basically, you know, these things are sold out weeks, if not months in advance. And the chances of, the, of them having an available ticket are like a million to one. But I'll go see. If I can get a ticket, I'll go to the show. That was the deal that I made with myself. Because I didn't have a lot of money back then. It was costing me enough just to come to Vegas. And so, you know, a, an expensive show ticket was a little much on top of that. But I thought, you know, it, I'll, I'll let fate decide. So I go down to the ticket counter and I said, um, you know, do you have a, a ticket for either show tonight? And they said that they had a ticket for the second show. And so uh, I'm like, great, I'll take it. And as it just so happened, this was completely by chance. It was like right next to the audio engineer. And I thought, wow, this could not be better. But who do I watch? Do I watch the audio engineer? Do I watch the show? You know, where does my attention need to go? So I thought, well, I'll just, you know, I'll, maybe I'll glance over and see what the engineer is doing from time to time. But I really kind of want to see the show. I know how to audio engineer. I don't know how they do all the things that they do for their shows because I'd never seen one. So I glanced over a few times. But in any case, it was a great seat because it's right at the beginning of the upper section. So you've got uh, the walkway right in front of you. You really don't have anyone blocking your view. You can see the things that are going on around you. You can see the things that are going on above. You're, you're not so close to the stage that you miss all the surrounding stuff. So it's a great place to sit. I highly recommend uh, if you ever go to the show, sit near the audio engineer. It's, it's absolutely perfect. On the right side in those first couple rows of the, the upper section. So... Uh, anyway, I, what I remember most about it is that at the end of the night, uh, when the show was over, I just, I didn't want to move. I was so mystified by everything that I had seen over the last couple of hours, everything I heard. It was music like I'd never heard before. It was acrobatics, but done in a way I'd never seen before. There were so many things happening. There was a, a you know, storyline, all these crazy characters, lots of drums and percussion. Uh, it was just a, an absolutely stunning show. And I really, I was the last person to leave the theater that, that night. I remember that. I also remember thinking, 
I really wish I had gone to the first show that night because had I, I would have walked right out and seen if I could have gotten a ticket and gone right back in and seen it again. It was just that powerful. I mean, when you walk into a Cirque du Soleil theater, and I don't know about the touring shows because I've never been to one of those, but when you're going to like a resident show where they build these theaters specifically to work with the show and they can do so much more than they can do on a tour. Um, you know, you can't take 80,000 gallons of water with you. So you're never going to see O go on the road, for example, over at the Bellagio. But it, it's it's really, you just walk into that theater and the just the lighting, the atmosphere, looking at the stage, seeing everything. It, it's just that in and of itself, you know, you're about to see something spectacular and you just, you just melt into it from the time it starts. And a lot of these shows, they start before you realize they're starting. You know, they don't start when the lights go down or anything like that, or when you hear the music, they start while people are being seated. There's typically, uh, you know, clowns or some kind of characters running around doing different things. And um, I, I won't spoil what happens at this particular show, because I think it's it's one thing that you should just go and experience. Uh, there's probably videos out on YouTube that talk about what happens. But in any case, it was just an amazing show. And as I was leaving the theater and, and their their um, show store is right across the aisle away from the theater. So, I, of course, I immediately went and bought the CD because the music was just mind blowing. You know, um, to this day, it's probably my favorite Cirque du Soleil soundtrack. And you guys know me. I'm not big on picking favorites or choosing one thing over another. But I will say that it's it's one I've listened to probably the most, maybe because of the connection that I have to it. But Either way, it, it was an, an absolutely amazing night. And after that, I could not get enough. I started, you know, saving up and ordering the DVDs, the soundtracks, everything. I just studied for about two years as much as I could to really immerse myself in the music, the way it was written. There's no language. I mean, it's completely made up, all the lyrics that you hear. And it's just a very special um, event. Every every show has its own personality. Um, very, very much so sound-wise, vocally, atmosphere, everything is is very unique to each show. And even if you listen to the older stuff, you know, the, their earlier shows, when they really were more just street performers, um, even that music back then was very interesting and uh, and unique, I thought. So, I mean, I was just inundated with all this, you know, audio and visual stuff that that just kind of blew my mind. And I didn't really have enough money to go see the show again while I was there. So, um, you know, I listened to the soundtrack almost all the way home. And that was uh, at the time, like a four and a half hour drive. And I just kept listening to it over and over. It was just amazing. So I really started to study over the next couple of years how they do their music, um, you know, through the different styles, the different sounds and textures and that and watching the videos, how they put it to the acts, you know, how that that marriage works. And I, I decided um, you know what, I'm going to try and, and write some of this stuff myself and just see what I come up with, because I, I was a little intimidated by it, but it was more of, I wonder how I would go about writing this style of music. So I started working on it. Um, I finished my first song in November of 2004. So this had to be, it had to be around 2002 or so that I saw the show for the first time. I've since seen it like, I don't know, eight or nine times, I think. But um, so the first song that I wrote actually is the second song that ended up on the album. And it was one that I, uh, I I really just didn't know where to start. I just started playing around with different sounds on the keyboard. I came up with something I, I really liked, which was based around this jaw harp. And I thought that's a pretty unique sounding instrument. It's not something that you hear a lot 
maybe down south uh, in places you would, um, but it, but in general, like you wouldn't hear that sound in shows. And, you know, the sounds that you hear in a lot of the Cirque music are sounds that you don't really know where they came from, or there are things that sound like regular instruments, but they're different. They have a, a unique flavor to them. So um, so I started with that, and then I went into uh, the next song that I wrote. I finished um, about nine days later, and that was um, that was really inspired by a song off of Alegria. And uh, and I'll get to that whenever I do my review of Alegria. I am working on a review of Mystere. I've got a couple of special things I'm trying to do with it. So uh, know that that review or, or both of those reviews really are, are forthcoming. I'm hoping to get Mystere in this year. Uh, Alegria probably won't be until next year. But in any case, uh, great soundtracks, both of them. So I started as early as, as November 2004, finishing my first song. The last song on the album, I finished uh, July 26th of 2006. So, you know, creeping up on uh, on two years uh, that it took me to do it. And uh, I was writing uh, some other stuff in between. I did uh, a couple demos. I did a couple bonus tracks for the Twist of Fate album. But um, yeah, it was it was just a fascinating journey. It was how can I keep this in continuity yet make every song kind of a, a different world of its own? You know, uh, that was the real challenge. And I had so much fun with it. I was writing stuff that I would have never written before. Um, one piece, as we'll get to it, was kind of more inspired by Philip Glass and I thought fit the album pretty well. Um, also, in the middle of working on this, I had knee surgery. So I was off of the um, the workstation for a while. I couldn't really sit at the keyboard. So I had a score pad and I wrote a couple of the songs uh, just by hand on on staff paper. So uh, it was a very fascinating journey, attacked from so many different ways over the course of time, but it was such a, a fun thing to do. And I really enjoyed finding different textures, different approaches to music, um, different uh, introductions and, and uh, post-song uh, sounds and things. So the challenge was that when I did the first version of it, now the first version came out in 2000 and let's see, what was that? 2007. I don't remember which month off the top of my head, but the first version came out on CD in 2007. I wasn't doing um, digital releases at the time. So it was very simple. I, I had a program that allowed me to put the entire album in there in one line and then just chop out uh, places where I wanted it to switch tracks. So you had the ability with the CD to have one ongoing sound as if it was a live show and just change the file ID without there being any spaces. And you would have to, you know, set the auto space to off so that it would just sound like a live concert. And that was really what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be like a soundtrack to a show that didn't exist. And once I did the remastered version, which came out on June 12th of 2014, so, uh, you know, seven years later, give or take some months, and that one I did digitally, and that's when I realized what the problem was, is that, you know, iTunes requires two seconds between tracks, so you can't just go in and, um, you know, make that a, a live feel. It's going to chop out and then chop back in with the new file ID. So I wasn't as happy with that part of the process. I don't know how other bands uh, get away with it. When I've heard live concerts, it seems like I've heard things from iTunes where that wasn't the case but I've never found a way to actually do it. So maybe there's some special thing that they do through their channels with their record company. I really don't know. But in any case, it, it caused a bit of a challenge because all the between song sounds 
that I, I kept in to make it sound like it was a live show now had to, you know, fade out because they were going to get cut at some point. So instead of abrupt cut, I wanted to make it nice and smooth, have the transition for each song. But, you know, it wasn't wall to wall sound, which is what I had really wanted, which was really quite a shame because I was very happy with the way that that came out on the original CD. But in any case, you work with what you've got. And that was that. So I I really love this album. Um, it brings back a lot of memories for me, especially of the fall, uh, living in Phoenix, an apartment in North Phoenix. And um, it was it was a really kind of a cold year that year, as I remember. But, the, you know, a lot of those songs that were written in the fall just have such great memories of them and putting them together. Um, what I tried to do lyrically was kind of follow that Cirque thing. All the uh, all the the words are gibberish, uh, completely made up. But the strategy that I went into creating them with was what when I would I would write the music first, and then I would decide how the lyrics were going to go afterwards, if it was going to have lyrics, and if so, what they were going to be. And what I decided to do was work everything off of syllables. So it wasn't a matter of, you know, what words sound good here, because I didn't have to tell a, a literal story. Uh, you know, if the, the words are made up, it's really more about the sound, using the voice as an instrument, almost as if you're listening to just a language you don't know anything about. So I decided to just work with syllables. What syllable would go good here? What syllable would go good after it, both as far as matching the music, matching the feel, but matching, you know, the the word or phrase I was trying to string together. And that's pretty much how I went about it. So when I'm reading the lyrics, uh, they make absolutely no sense, you know, just just none at all. And that's okay, because they're more about feeling. Now, when I recorded the album, my brother Lee was a vocal producer, I would have never have been able to do this without that. Uh, he did an amazing job, because it was hard enough to to remember the pronunciations I wanted. Again, I've got no guideline here because they're just syllables. So it was hard enough to to get the pronunciation down, let alone pitch and that uh, perfection, which was always difficult for me as a vocalist. I, I was never a good vocalist. Um, I sounded okay, I think. But as far as being like a guy who could just go in and record and go home, no, I mean, every, every song was going to take an hour or more and it would get very frustrating for me. And I would come so close to hitting it and then something else would be off because I was focusing on one part. I lost something else. I, I hated having to sing because I just didn't have that skill. So uh, he was great. I also employed another uh, idea and I, I, I still wish that this would have worked out better. But back in the day, uh, the Zero G company had made a couple of products called Vocaloid. And what these were supposed to be were uh, singers that sang, but you could string the words together of what they would sing. And then you just, you know, smooth it out in their performance. And it's supposed to sound like a regular singer. I don't know how that was supposed to work because I could not get it to work that well. But what I did do was I used it as a guideline, you know, uh, for me to be able to memorize and follow the pitch instead of trying to pluck it out of the air. If I'm singing like a cover song, I can usually sing it pretty well. Uh, you know, my voice issues aside currently, as far as pitch goes, I used to be able to do pretty well with cover songs. So the, the difficulty for me was that there was no guide. So I thought, okay, well, I'll program these vocals and I'll get them to sound pretty close. But instead of using them in the album, which is what I had hoped to do, um, I realized that wasn't going to work really quick. But what I could do is I could use them as a guide for my pitch and to kind of memorize where everything was supposed to be. So we had to change some things just because I couldn't hit 
all those ranges that I had programmed. But for the most part, it was it was a nice guideline, a nice way to kind of help me with uh, with the vocals, getting the album done a little faster than normal, uh, especially with the added challenge of it being gibberish. So uh, it was really challenging, but it was a lot of fun and um, a great project. I'm still very, very proud of this one. Um, the remaster didn't change a whole lot. I think I changed a couple of sounds, just made them a little little bit better. And, uh, and of course, had to fade in and out the transitions between the songs. But apart from that, it's pretty much uh, the same as the original version, just sounds a little bit better. And it's it's definitely one that I'm very, very proud of. If you guys are interested in it, of course, the links are in the show notes. You can also go to my website. And that will link you to Bandcamp, uh, Amazon, iTunes, all the places where it's available. But a, uh, a fun album to do just the same. And I think, you know, even now looking back on it, I really feel like I did capture the essence of a Cirque du Soleil type show, not what they would have done, what I would have done and in the vein of their style of writing. Um, it was just a lot of fun. So, you know, now that I've been rambling on about the history and everything behind it, um, I think that we should just get almost into the song. Now, uh, one other thing I want to talk about the artwork. So uh, originally when I did the album was uh, just me. I took a sheet of paper. I got some clay and I made some shapes. I put them down. I took a photo. That was the album cover. When I went to go do the remaster, by this point, I was working with Kelly who has just done, oh my God, such an amazing job with all my album covers. It's unbelievable what this woman comes up with. Um, even, even the newest album, like every one of them, I'm just blown away by her work. It's so amazing. I, I just like scratch something out on a piece of paper. I send her the demo versions of the songs and she's like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll come up with something. And then whatever she does is just brilliant. So uh, by the time that I did the remaster, I was working with her. And the, the challenge that we had was that the camera I had at the time that I took the picture of the clay, the resolution was not enough for her to do all the stuff that she needed to do with it. So we actually, uh, I bought some more clay and went over to her house. We sat on the floor, we recreated the album cover and then she took her photos of it. And that's how we have a little bit of a contrast between the original and the remastered version. But I love the cover. I think it's it's really cool. It's It's fun. It shows that it's not to be taken seriously. But then when you hear it, it's like you kind of do, but it still has that fun quality to it. You know, at least that's what I hope it has. There's serious moments, of course, because you have to have ups and downs. You have to have a little conflict in a show. But for the most part, it's it's just hopefully fun. So. Uh, I got to tell you uh, the, the opening song, Lardram. Now, this one um, has a really interesting beat in it. And I remember like whenever I was chatting on the phone with people, I used to just walk around the house and cradle the phone on my neck and and just, you know, gently hit things with with sticks, you know, like, a, a, you know, the mattress in my bed or whatever, just something that was kind of soft so that they really couldn't hear it, but just kind of kept me practicing and kept my hands moving. So I was talking to somebody and I had these two thin uh, colored sticks in my hands. And what I did was, uh, I was just, I just started tapping on the mattress while I was talking to them. And I came up with the pattern that we hear in the opening. And I actually built the entire song around the drumstick pattern. So here is a bit of Lard Ram.
So a couple of things that percussion lick um, that, that comes in first, that is the one I was talking about. And that's the one that I wrote while I was on the phone. And I actually recorded it by using those same sticks, putting a towel over my ottoman and hitting that. Love that ottoman. But uh, it just had the right sound. It was it was kind of dry and a little bit thumpy, but it had a good attack and a character to it. And I thought, wow, this just sounds perfect for the song, for what I'm looking for. And uh, the other thing to point out, too, is as I was recording or writing this album, I was really still just getting into virtual instruments. Um, I, I was very new to it. In fact, I think it was just within a couple of months that I had bought the first couple. Everything I was doing before that was just utilizing keyboard sounds. But virtual instruments was a whole nother world for me. I started with the uh, East West Silver Orchestra at the time. And that was just like a basic entry level, got a little bit of everything in it for you, not the, you know, full on high quality multiple mic positions. It was just very basic. But compared to what I had on my Korg sequencer, it was, uh, you know, a a huge leap from where I had been at in the quality of of sound, especially for orchestral instruments. And from there, I just kind of went nuts. So uh, it's a combination of Korg keyboard sounds, sounds from my Alesis uh, QSR and all the various cards that I have for that, and then uh, some virtual instruments that, that I got. Um, again, I didn't really have a lot of money back then, but I was able to take advantage of some really good sales, um, a lot of buy one, get ones, you know, that kind of thing. And that's kind of how I began to build my library. Now I've got hundreds of thousands of sounds and, uh, you know, life is crazy. But it was, uh, it was a very interesting experimental time in a lot of ways. So this particular song, now, Lar Dram, was really meant to be like the opening song to the show, right? Because I said I wanted it to, to be like a live show, uh, the soundtrack for a show that doesn't exist. So this would be the, uh, you know, you hear the opening, and I would probably, like, if it was an actual live show, I would probably do it for another minute or two before I kicked in with the drums. But I, I it, it's the, okay, the show's about to start, you know, find your seat, it's time to, time to get this ball rolling. And um, it's got some good grooves and I really like the bass on it. It's not something that I think I would have really written otherwise. So I found it to be a lot of fun. A lot of interesting textures uh, built in, especially even in the intro, you can hear it. Um, The uh, trumpet, I actually uh, played that way, just that, you know, random tapping. I wanted it to slow down and speed up here and there, Um, use some oscillators and and that to really uh, achieve a, an interesting sound overall. But even the little subtle things that pop in there, you kind of don't notice because of the way that they're blended. But there's a lot of stuff going on in there, a lot of layers, a lot of textures. And um, it was a challenge to mix. That was the hardest part with this album was really mixing it. But I think this one came out great. I, I really love the the remastered version of it much better than the original. I say remastered. I actually remixed and remastered the entire album. I had all the original tracks. Uh, and all the individual instruments. So I was able to actually just kind of take that mix from scratch, reset all the faders to zero and just start from there. And uh, it was a real challenge, this album twice. But I had a lot of fun with it just the same. So as an opening track, um, it really kind of sets a tone. It's like, hey, this is going to be exciting. There's going to be stuff happening. Buckle up. So following that, we have the next song that I wrote, uh, which is the first song that I actually wrote called Solobi.
I went really back and forth with the idea of was I slowing things down too early? Did I need a little more energy or was I really still trying to build the setting of the show? And I think it was the latter. I think this really just kind of set the tone that you're going to hear sounds and combinations of things that you're not used to hearing. It's something very different and unique. And I really feel that the song brought that across. I do have a little bit of the the backing vocals that I created with Zero G's Miriam Stockley program in there, uh, just underlying a little bit of what uh, what I did in the song. I just thought it added a little bit of a different dimension. I could have used it on all the songs, but I really just like that little snippet of it uh, that's that's towards the end. Um, but yeah, a song that I'm very happy with. You know, I don't know of any songs that are written on Jaw Harp. I couldn't say a single one of them. But this was really based around just me jamming on a keyboard, just kind of playing around with different sounds, found this, came up with that melody and sort of rhythmic melody and uh, just kind of developed it from there. So the third song on the album is called uh, Full Shue. And this is one of my, honestly, one of my favorite songs that I've ever written. And it, it really, there's, there's just something about it. It does have an element of classical as there is a little bit of that on this album, mainly because I had purchased that orchestra and, and I had it available to me. But uh, this is one that just for me, all the elements came together, the music, the vocals, the different styles of instruments that you hear in the song. Um, it, it's one that I mean, I'm proud of all the songs that I've written, but this is one of the top for me for sure.
So within the vocals or really behind the vocals, there is a pan flute that is a constant through the album. I wanted something to kind of give my voice a little different uh, sound and chose the pan flute. So that was the other guide that I had created, but one that stayed in as opposed to Miriam's vocals that did not. But there's just something to me about this chorus that that is really impactful. I think it has a, a real unique uh, feel and flavor to it. But it's one, like I said, I'm I'm just very proud of. And um, I'm going to play you a little bit of the demo version I did using Zero G's Miriam Stockley. And you can kind of hear why it didn't work, but how it could work as a guide. You know, the general spirit is there, but it does sound very robotic and kind of emotionless. Um, I just could not find ways to really get it to sound quite the way I wanted to for the album. But, you know, to say, hey, you know, there is merit in this idea, you know, of the song, and you can kind of get that feel of it, of how it will eventually sound when adding a real vocalist. But check out what the chorus sounds like. Get to me, So obviously the idea wasn't going to work that way. I thought about maybe doing a hybrid or maybe having her uh, underneath of my voice, but it really just didn't sound good. So in the end, I just really sang all of it, except for, you know, a couple of short bursts that I, I had saved her vocals in. 
But, you know, the idea was cool. They've come a long way with the Vocaloid stuff. I don't have any of the newer stuff. Um, I've thought about getting it, but I remember the hours I spent just trying to get this to work. But technology has moved faster. Um, they're coming out with a lot of innovative things. So I might try a- another idea at some point, or at least, as a, again, as a vocal guide. But I thought it was, a, it was a fun thing to do. It did get a little bit tedious after a while, to be quite honest. I'm just getting the right syllables because you have to do it phonetically. And some of them just didn't really come out right anyway. But that was the contrast. And in that last clip with the chorus, you kind of hear the pan flute come out a little bit more and you could hear what I was singing along to in my vocal version of the song. So uh, a song I absolutely love, very proud of. And um, yeah, I I even just listening to it uh, to set it up the clips for this podcast. uh, I just enjoyed hearing that little bit again. The next song that we have is Kaiwag G-Cam. So a lot of this, too, was built around doing a a doubling high harmony. And at the time, you know, I had that range. I was able to do that. It it took a little bit to get through those uh, parts, but those high high harmonies actually came very easy once the main vocal tracks were done because I had the main vocal track to follow. And um, those, as as I recall, those went much more quickly, but they were a lot of fun to do. And I, I would imagine, you know, thinking about it now, uh, that I've been through so many songs on my Uriah Heat podcast, they were probably a pretty big influence on it, even though I didn't really realize it at the time. Thinking of their vocal harmonies, they always had that high harmony, um, so many good layers of vocals there. So that may have had something a little bit to do with it. It was a little more maybe Uriah Heap and a little less Cirque du Soleil. 
But again, it was not, you know, my, my concept was not to replicate what Cirque du Soleil would do, but to take the concept of how they approached music and to see what I would do using that basic approach, you know, in, in my own style. So uh, this is this song is a lot of fun. It's really based around that sort of delayed, um, you know, pinging instrument. It's it's really almost percussive, you know, almost like a xylophone, but not quite. And uh, I, I really enjoyed that. It was once I, I found that uh, that opening melody, everything just took off from there. And um, the bass, I really like the bass on this one, too. Um, it's it got a good groove to it. You know, it's got some unexpected stuff that uh, that I don't think I would have written for any other type of song, but a lot of fun nonetheless. And uh, another one of mine that I I just, I look back on and, and I really have to smile. I don't pat myself on the back a lot for, uh, you know, the things that I do, but I will say that I am very proud of this album and, you know, this, this kind of song and being able to pull off that vocal and just having it blend so well with the instruments and, and songs that aren't standard, you know, they're not verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge solo kind of songs there they just go where they need to go for you know what what was the uh the story in my mind of the the show playing out but speaking of things in my mind let's listen to a little bit of the next song which is to lamentir the fifth and middle song in the album One thing I especially love about that song is the just the amount of layers that I put into it, probably more so than most other projects I've worked on. 
um, I, I didn't even realize uh, or I had kind of forgot until just listening to it just now, where it just feels like there's so many things going on. And I love that. I, I think that this is one of the more powerful songs that I've written. I think it starts out with the bang. It's kind of piratey a little bit. Um, but I love the uh, the cello and the accordion. I think they sound really good together, which are not two instruments I would have said, you know, I really want to write a song with cello and accordion. It just wouldn't have come to my mind. But the rhythm of the cello, I've got a rhythm accordion track and then the lead accordion track playing the melody. Um, I think it just blends so well. And I, I don't know, I should probably do something else with that someday. But for now, it, it has its spot on the album. And it's quite a journey, this song, as, as you heard, has a lot of twists and turns. It goes in some different directions. You really don't that the thing I love about this music is you really don't know where it's going to go next because, like I talked about earlier, it doesn't have that typical song structure to it. It's not like rock or pop or anything like that. So I think it just kind of adds a unique flavor of twists and turns, and you expect it's going to come full circle, and most of them do, but not always, or not when you'd expect them to, which I think is part of the fun. You know, it, it keeps the music interesting and, and alive. So um, that's just kind of my thought. So as we uh, head into the second half of the album, here is a little bit of a song called Dennis Tenego. This song was probably the hardest to sing from a perspective of. It really kind of pushed my range a little bit. You know, I was good with the the high harmony. I was good with the mid-range and and upper range stuff. But there was a a spot in this song. I think it's coming up after where I faded it out. But uh, as as I recall, that part was probably the hardest just because of those particular notes and my voice. But it was a lot of fun to do. Um, It's another song that, you know, it's a journey this one. It's kind of slowing things down, you know, as as you're heading towards the second half of the show. 
but it's one that that just has uh, its own story to tell and takes you in a few different directions. I, I love the um, the violins and the violas that I put in this one. I love that along with the uh, the Celesta, just that that you know beautiful uh, pink plinky sort of uh, instrument. And it's just got such a nice blend. It feels it, it's serious at first, and then it gets into this lighthearted section and then kind of serious again. So it has a lot of mood swings, this one. It's probably the, the moodiest song on the album. But it, it, the order of the songs, too, I, I feel flow really well from one thing to another. And this song was just in the right spot. It just it needed to be here where it was. So that is that one. But the next song we have is called Parafol, and this one was inspired by an actual Cirque du Soleil song off of the Alegria soundtrack. I think it's track number five, and it's called Erna. That was written by composer René Dupéry, who did most of Mystère, and then Benoit Jutras came in in later years and added some stuff to that show. Um, but this uh, Alegria was written by René, and uh, the music is just amazing. The recording is, is fantastic. I mean, just stunning. And it's uh, it's very percussive and melodic. And it's an instrumental. But I think there's like some very far off backing vocals in some spots, just uh, kind of duplicating the uh, uh, um, accordion melody. But uh, that was the, where I got the start to to do this song. I wanted to see if I could write something like that, because I love that song. It's very powerful. And here is my song, Parafol. So this one has a little bit of a darker overtone to it, I feel, 
Um, I really love the percussive layers, though. There's so many things going on, so many unique sounds. They're not really percussive sounds per se. They're not drums, but they are uh, played with a rhythm that makes them feel percussive. And I, I really loved the textures that I came up with. I just kept adding things. And um, the song just got bigger and bigger, but there's a, a just a, a lovely combination of percussion and different rhythms. And on top of that, then you've got drums that come in with effects on them just for the transitions. And then, you know, you've got strings, you've got a, a brass synth, you've got all kinds of stuff. Um, there's one uh, synth called Arabesque that I really love for this song. But it was definitely one one that was just a blast to write. And it was a real challenge to take a song like Erna and say, okay, how would I write something, though, that's based around that same sort of percussive adventure and just go from there? So that was uh, that was a joy and, and one that I another one that I really enjoy listening to. I don't listen to my own stuff a whole lot, but this is an album that I tend to get out, especially around this time of year and just enjoy it. I try to listen to it, to everything I do a couple times a year, but I, I don't get to everything. This is an album that I make sure that I get to every fall. Uh, it, just, it just has that, uh, that memory for me. So uh, we have three songs left. The next two I actually wrote uh, by hand. That was when I had my knee surgery and really could not sit at my, my computer and uh, play on the keyboard at all. So I just decided to write them by hand, and then I input them uh, later. But what I find that when I write by hand, I write differently than I do uh, when I'm playing, because I can write things that I can't physically play, or it just changes direction. Um, I just think about things differently when I'm looking at paper versus just playing. So it's it's different uh, for me, the, the different mediums bring out different styles. This one in particular, this is the title track, Kamu uh, Vole. Now, this was one that I wanted to see if I could write something in the minimalistic style. So minimalism is really attributed to guys like Philip Glass. And uh, I've covered a Philip Glass album on this show recently. And I really kind of wanted to do something like that. At the time, I hadn't heard the album Glassworks yet. I only knew the song Flow. Uh, and it was only the Keith Emerson version that I knew at the time that I did this. So it was really just based on my idea of that, uh, you know, just taking something that was simple, changing things on the repeat, uh, adding, taking away, but basically keeping the song uh, rolling forward the whole time without there being like breaks and, you know, major changes and stuff like that. There's there's a couple of different spots where there's, there's uh, a, more of an abrupt change. But for the most part, the song just kind of, takes off and then just keeps going. And uh, I don't know, see what you guys think of it. It's one that I had a lot of fun doing. It took a really long time to write by hand. But like I said, I, I had a few days where I really just couldn't do anything. And I'm not the kind of person that can sit there and watch a lot of television. Although I will say there was something interesting that happened during that time. Now, I had the desire to do music for films many years ago. My first inspiration was the soundtrack for It by Richard Bellis. The miniseries, not the new uh, miniseries that came out a few years ago, but the original miniseries. And uh, in particular, there's a song where uh, the young kid is looking at a photo album. The photo album gets uh, taken over by whatever spirit and starts flipping pages on its own, lands on this old circus photograph and goes into the circus through the photograph. And the music that, that was being played there, very circusy, but it just fit the scene so perfectly. And I thought, God, I'd really love to do that one day. 
So, of course, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have, you know, any connections or anything like that at the time. So I thought, uh, I, I didn't really think much about it after that. It was, it was kind of like something that would pop into my head now and then, but having no way to pursue it, it was just a thought, you know, nothing more. And uh, when I had my knee surgery, though, uh, my brother had rented some movies for me, and one of them was The Island. And The Island starring uh, Ewan McGregor and Joanna, uh, jo- Scarlett Johansson, eh, was uh, a movie that I like. I didn't really care for the movie that much the first time I saw it, but the music, the soundtrack was like something I had never heard before. This huge percussion and a whole choral section, and it, it was just amazing the sound textures on this thing. And so uh, I really got into the soundtrack, and I would watch the movie over and over just to you know hear all the stuff. And eventually, you know, I, I bought the soundtrack and I, I was just blown away when I could really just focus on the soundtrack without hearing all the movie noise, how amazing it was. And this was written and recorded by Steve Jablonski. And I was just like, wow, I've never heard anything of like this before. And it rekindled that desire to get into film composing. So at this point, you know, I had some decent equipment. I had some good sounding instruments because, you know, really just doing all that on a keyboard, you're not going to get great work you know, with, with those kind of sounds. So uh, having the orchestra, having a little more confidence in my composing skills, I actually started finding people to do uh, movies with. And that's where all that got started. So uh, that all happened right while this was going on, while I was writing these two songs. Um, like I would work on the song for a little while. I would watch a bit of a movie and then kind of work on it for a little while. And uh, that was like uh, five or six days of my life. Uh, maybe it was only two or three. I don't remember now. It seems like it was longer than that, but that also doesn't make sense. How long does it take you to recover from arthroscopic knee surgery? Not that long. I mean, I remember I was driving a week later. So, uh, but in any case, yeah, it was, these were a lot of fun to write. And this is, is a little bit more Philip Glass, but I think it fits in well with the rest of the album. Thank you. 
Wow. As I'm listening back to that, I actually remembered a couple of things that I had completely forgot about. I forgot that there were more changes in the beginning of the song, in the second section of the song, um, which which comes about, uh, you know, 45 seconds later or so from this point. Um, that's actually where it gets more straightforward with those builds. There are actually more changes than I thought. And uh, the intro, I remember, I actually did start writing on the keyboard before my surgery. I had the first maybe 30 seconds or so of the song. Uh, and then I was kind of out of commission for a bit. And I thought, you know, I didn't really want to stop writing because I had the idea in my head and I didn't want to lose it. So break out the sketch pad and the mechanical pencil and some erasers and my ruler and just went for it. It took me forever, I remember, to program all of that in because there's so many notes. And there's like, you know, it, it sounds repetitive, but there's like a one note difference in a lot of them. So every note had to be done one at a time. And uh, I'm trying to remember what I used back then because I didn't have any of the um, I didn't have any of the major scoring programs like Sibelius or Finale or even Notion back then. Um, I don't remember what I used. It, it might have just been Cakewalk. I, I I'm not sure. But in any case, yeah, it was it was a fun song to do. There's some really good emotion in it in in the second half. Some really great transitions that I just love. Um, I, I, it's, it's a, another favorite of mine, I, I have to say. And again, I really don't pat myself on the back for my work a whole lot, but I'm really, this is another song I'm really proud of because it's, it's not like anything else I've written. And, um, I think it's got a really good feel to it. I think it carries you away very nicely. You know, it, it just like sets you in this, uh, this nice little boat and pulls you along very smoothly for the ride. And I think it's a great journey. And, to follow that, I thought, you know, I, I knew I was coming towards the end of the album. I did not write these songs in order, but I knew that I wanted to really slow things down before the finale and and just have kind of like a um, a song of reflection, a song of, of maybe some unity, but also reflecting on decisions and, and you know, what's happened throughout this imaginary show. The, the, the characters thinking about their journey before they head home, if you will. And so with that, I wrote this song, Tefalog.
thinking of this song in terms of this imaginary show, I kind of think of it as the characters are all about to go their separate ways. You know, this is the end of the party, of the gathering, the event, you know, whatever it is that was going on. And they're all just kind of, you know, reflecting on their moments together, reflecting on their moments individually, hugging, getting ready for, you know, the end of the party. And just just those moments of, you know, I I need to think about things. I need to soak this all in. I need to think about what it all means and just have that before it's time to really say goodbye, you know, to take that final bow. And they've all shared this journey together. And I feel like a lot of them will never see each other again. And so this point of reflection, of appreciation, of I'm I'm really glad I met you, I'm glad we went through this together kind of feel is what I really wanted to create here that I, I'm sad to see it end, but I know it has to. And I think I, I've seen that in a lot of shows where there's just that moment of you you have to have the 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 connection, you know, and I think that this is that moment where we have that that final connection because we've we've been so busy with the show and all the things that are going on that we haven't actually stopped and thought about, well, what do all these characters or people or whatever mean to me? And you're realizing that when it's about time to say goodbye. So uh, I'm very happy with that song vocally. It was very challenging because really the only guide that I had for the placement was the flute. And so that made it a little bit challenging, but I was very loose with it. Um, For the the two takes that I did of it, um, I, I did not get myself concerned with uh, syncing everything together vocally. I wanted it to be a little bit loose, maybe not everything match up perfectly to have a little bit of distance between the two takes because it was about emotion and it wasn't about that perfection and everything being, you know, the, the dinner table being perfectly set. It was just about everybody being together and lost in the moment. And I wanted some, you know, I, I wanted the good majority of it to be pretty close, but I wanted a little displacement in there as well. So I actually flew through the second take because I didn't have to match everything up. And I I remember it when I listened back to it, I'm like, wow, that was actually a lot easier than I thought. But it was it was mainly because of that. If I tried matching everything I did, um, it would have been very difficult, but I would have done it if that's what I wanted to go for. But here I thought that separation was a little bit more important. I thought it brought out a little bit more of the emotion. And um, yeah, another song I'm very happy with. So as the show wraps up, or in the terms of Mysteras, Alice makes her appearance. Um, any of you who have seen clips of the giant snail know what I'm talking about. Um, it's it's a sad moment in the show for me because I never want it to end. I love that show so much. Uh, but it's a very powerful moment in the show. And there's a, there's a moment earlier where she peeks her head out and I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot. That means that we're getting close to the end. You know, it's a couple songs away. And then when she comes out for the finale, it's... It's just a, another thing. It's it's always a very emotional time for me watching that show and knowing that it's that it's the end. And as many times as I've seen it, uh, it still just really gets to me. So uh, as we end this album and as we end the show, the imaginary show that plays in my head, this song is called Nilifus.
And of course, it springs into a much more powerful ending. But uh, yeah, I, I love the blend of this. I love that uh, the the flute really tells the story in this one as opposed to the vocals with the flute. I felt that it was a little more stronger to do as an instrumental. I felt that I had sung uh, the right amount for what the album needed. And uh, as I was thinking about the the ending of the show, I thought it really just needed to be the music on its own, carrying it away. Uh, I, I think it's a really powerful ending. And uh, that was a big thing for me because the one complaint that I have about Cirque du Soleil is it really gets confusing when to clap, when to show your appreciation to the artist, because there's times when they're doing acrobatics and they're doing these really cool things and you clap for each one of those. But then the song ends and you clap, but the song actually isn't over. They do something else. And then you're like, OK, well, I just clapped, but OK, I'll, I'll clap again. And it's kind of confusing to me and I think to the audience, too, because I, I notice that when I go to the shows is that it's not really defined so well because they aren't acts like uh, like an opera or anything. So uh, I, I tried to do something that was a little bit more definitive. And of course, you're not seeing uh, acrobatics or anything, so you're not clapping during uh, all of that. But the idea would be that if this were a live show, those things would take care of themselves, but the music itself would tell you, you know, when the song is over and when to, you know, give the round of applause to, to all, all of the uh, performers. So, uh, but anyway, I, I really had a lot of fun with this album. It's been fun going over it because I haven't really analyzed it or thought that deeply about it, probably since I did the remixing and mastering version of it in uh, 2000, what was it, 14. So God, that was seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> long time. Anyway, uh, thank you guys so much for taking this journey with me. I really hope that you like the album. If you would like to get your own copy, the links are in the show notes. You can also go to my website and go to the soundtracks uh, side of the music page and you can link it there. It's also on uh, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, uh, Google Play, all of the places, my Bandcamp site, uh, everywhere. So check it out. Uh, it, it's it's really a different album. I mean, it's a really unique experience. And I, I just hope that, you know, people enjoy the journey because that's what this album is really about. It's it's not about political statements or, you know, uh, jokes or anything like that. It's, it's really just about uh, a musical and vocal emotional journey. And since there's no lyrics to tell you, here's what this song is about it really leaves 100% of everything to your imagination. What does it mean to you? What do you feel when you listen to it? How do these uh, non-existent words feel? Do they mean anything to you? Is there something that you feel the song is about? You know, it's it's just a free-form method of expression. And I think that's what makes this album particularly unique as opposed to my other albums, that the ones that don't have vocals, because there are, uh, you know, those songs, it's just the music that tells the story. But here you have a, a, a vocals, but they're done as an instrument. And I, I just think that that's a, a different flavor altogether. And um, anyway, I hope that you guys have enjoyed this. It's certainly been fun for me to go over it again and share it with you all. I will be back next week with, guess what? Another show. We'll see you soon, guys. Cheers. <laughs>